Handle on the News. Handle on the News! You helped create this monster and now you're profiting off of him. And if you're going to profit off of Bill Handle, you should at least give him some money because he doesn't have any. And now, here's Bill Handle. All right, here we are. It's uh, Handle and the Morning Crew. Amy is here, and she's filling in for uh, Jennifer this entire week. Jennifer is on uh, vacation, right? Yep, much deserved. Uh, I don't know about that, but oh, certainly on. it's she's on vacation. All right. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, Wayne Resnick, good morning. Good morning. And Alex and John Ramirez, altar boy John. All right. Oh, you know... Uh, Yesterday, we started announcing that uh, that meet and greet, another one of those. Uh, we're all going to be at this event with hors d'oeuvres. And uh, it's usually we do them upstairs. And where? what day is that that we're doing that? Let me see that because we're going to be announcing that today. October 1st, uh, helping the American Red Cross. I think this is corporate. Uh, get prepared, California. So all of us are going to be up there. Uh, and uh, the skyscape in Los Angeles. I am literally tingling with excitement. The the investigator in me wants to come over and check, but can you the s- regular person in me does not want to. We'll take your word for it. Can you see me tingling? No, I can't see you tingling. I think you feel tingling. I'm fi- I'm tingling. Okay, I f- I'll take your word for it. I feel tingling. Uh huh. Of oh. excitement. Excitement. It's at the OUE Sky Space on top of that is, what is it, the City National Bank building? Uh, yeah. I think? yeah. All right. So we'll uh, announce that later on. It's like, actually, as much as I make fun of it, I do enjoy that stuff. Uh, so this is a tease that later you're going to announce. Correct. Information about an event. Correct. All right. You don't want to just <sighs> give the information now. No. Okay. No. We'll give it later, and this is a double tease. All right, fair enough. Uh, let's big story, uh, caravans. We're going to talk about what's going on with the caravans with Alex Stone. And uh, the there is such a basic fundamental flaw in people that are fighting the caravans and fighting illegal aliens coming over the border. I mean, underlining fundamental flaw that destroys their argument completely. And I don't care what side of the issue you're on. I'm just telling you, it destroys everything they say. Not not a principled disagreement about no. something that reasonable people no. will disagree. You're no. saying it's like a almost scientifically provable flaw. That's correct. That oh makes my. their argument impossible. When are you going to bring this up? I'm going to bring it up uh, at uh, 7 a.m. Uh, after talking to Alex Stone. Okay, are you guys ready to do it? Yes, sir. All right, lead story. All right, Uh, 11 of those caravan members have been uh, arrested for illegally entering the U.S. The Department of Justice filed complaints against 11 of those people. I'm assuming they're being held. And And the way it works, whenever a crime is committed, in this case, the crime of going over the border illegally... Uh, detention after a trial, if jail time is given, jail time is done, then the deportation happens. Right. Then they throw them out. 
This is a mystery. Well, one of the guys has a felony because he apparently was deported once before. The other 10, it's a misdemeanor crime. Well, doesn't it seem kind of silly if you've made the trek all the way up from Honduras and Central America and you've you've invested a month of your life in it and then there's a backup at the border and you go, eh, screw it. I'm going to go across illegally. Well, uh, there's so much there's so much to this story. Oh, yeah. It's not simple. It's just it just seems counter And both sides simplify the issue so much. And there's so much in the middle. I was watching video last night. How does your heart not go out to these families? Oh, yeah. Just talking to how, Alex, how, in, which you're going to be talking yeah, to. Does, Some of their stories are incredible. Yeah, how does your... It's... There is so much legitimacy to some of their stories about uh, avoiding or uh, getting away from uh, persecution, legitimate persecution, which fall under the asylum laws. Yeah. And one of the other problems is the administration is saying our laws are weak, we're not enforcing. Our laws are not weak. They're they're pretty strong. And the, the laws are being enforced. Those that seek asylum, uh, it is very hard. And I don't know, even Donald Trump's issue, let's build a wall, let's build a wall. Does that mean people seeking asylum are not going to be able to claim asylum anymore? No. And people seeking asylum are entering, are doing it legally within the law. And I don't know where the Trump administration said they're breaking the law. They're not. They're following the law. Now, whether they comply, well, they're complying with the law. Uh, But whether they're able to meet the requirements is a different story. But it's all according to the law. So I don't know where the administration is going to this. I guess it's all an argument for the wall. If the wall is built, there'll be no more asylum. Uh, that'll never happen again. I guess there'll be no gates. No, he said there'd be a big, beautiful door. Remember? He said, I'm going to build a wall and there's going to be big, beautiful Well, right doors. now there's a big, beautiful wall with people that are claiming asylum. This caravan is all about asylum. I think the administration's message is muddied because some of the message is the border's too porous. Too many people can sneak across. That's the wall side of it. But as you know, not this also, caravan. No, but but then the there's another side to his immigration policy that has to do with making changes to the legal immigration processes and that what, we have. And so it's not clear. And what would be what the if the concern is we don't want anybody that's, from any country then really coming least, in here unless least, we want them that at least for economic up. benefit then or. Is, but that's not what they're saying. Well, the message is muddied. Is yeah, right. that's totally. He, you and know, then and he's when, mixing the two. And then at 7 o'clock, I'm going to go into the fundamental flaw of the argument of the Trump administration and those who advocate shutting down the border and not letting anybody through. Or making sure illegals, we, we're going to stop illegal people from coming through. Okay, let's, let's move on. Okay, hey, Trump is uh, postponing tariffs against uh, Canada, Mexico, and, Europe, and the European Union for 30 days. There's another one fraught with all kinds of problems. And this one is, the president is absolutely right. China's been screwing us for years, for decades. Uh, The tariff deal, right now all of uh, the trade deals have been negotiated with all of the major countries. And Trump says, I'm tired of us getting screwed. Those were bad deals, and they were. That were signed, and then there are two sides of that coin. And side number one 
is we sign those deals. Do we now abrogate those deals, like the Iran deal? And so the president is prepared to blow up deals that we have signed because they're bad deals. If I buy a house from you, and it turns down I overpaid, and after I take the house, you know what? I pay too much money for this house. I want to abrogate the sale. I want my money back, and you get your house back. But That's wait a, a really, minute. really interesting way of, of yeah, looking at Yeah, but wait a minute. You signed sense. a contract. Yeah. I don't care. A bad deal. That's the problem. And we're going to come back and do plenty more. But right after the break, uh, your chance to win $1,000, Bill says, with brilliant teeth. <laughs> Amy? Sweet. You're up. <laughs> You're gone. Maybe it's time to come All right, uh, we're back. Handle of the morning crew. And uh, before we get to uh, more of the news, uh, here's your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword cash to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's cash to 200-200. The winner's notified with a phone call, which you must answer like Lupe in Victorville did. Your next chance to win $1,000 coming up next hour. All right, back we go. And we do more handle on the news on a uh, Tuesday morning. Amy is uh, filling in for Jennifer Jones Lee, Wayne Resnick, and me. And Trump's made a suggestion for where he might have his meeting with Kim Jong Un, and it's not at a Trump hotel. Come on, people now. Actually, yeah. there are plans to build one in the DMZ. In the DMZ. <laughs> well, that's where he suggested they have their uh, what will be a historic summit. And when that's it where happens later this year. And that's where it's Not going that to happen. I mean, it's supposed to happen in the next few weeks, yeah, right? And it, that's exactly where it's going to happen. Uh, first of all, he loved the video of what he saw uh, with Kim and Moon, who, uh, and they videoed everything. They sent the meetings out and the panoply, and it is perfect. It's in the Peace House where they negotiated the armistice, and uh, this is going to be legitimately the Peace House. Because that's where the peace treaty is going to be signed between North and South Korea. I think it's, he loved it. It's he's right. He's right. He's, that's the best place to have it. Absolutely. And Kim is fine with it, too. Because Kim uh, doesn't have to travel anyplace. Uh-huh. If he goes overseas, these guys won't get her on an airplane. They have to take a train. The big armored trains. And let me tell you, a trip from uh, North Korea to Portland, Oregon, <laughs> aboard a train is no easy feat. No, particularly <laughs> given the oceans. Sorry, I have somebody in the newsroom talking to me right now about a breaking story about an L.A. County Sheriff's deputy who's been injured in a crash while transporting someone. We're trying to get details so we can get you up with that. Uh, South Korean President Moon Jae-in says President Trump can take that Nobel Peace Prize. This peace as long as... He, that's Moon, gets peace. Exactly. I've said this before. If this comes off where a legitimate peace comes out of all this, you'll see three recipients of the Nobel Peace Prize. Kim, Moon, Trump will be sharing the peace prize. And think, for somebody who wants to be on the world stage and wants to be seen as a legitimate, you know, power, that's huge for Oh, it's enormous. But so what? 
people are so into, oh, my God, we can't give him the stage. We can't uh, pretend that he is not a rogue leader. There are plenty of rogue leaders out there that we accept and deal with. All those African countries that are complete dictatorships. Uh, Why aren't we saying something about them? Because they don't have nukes. That's correct. So it's the hypocrisy of it. Mm -hmm. That's exactly correct. I think it's just going to be fascinating. It's going to be great. Plays out. Uh, one of the fallouts from the arrest of the Golden State Killer suspect is a lot of former law enforcement officials are feeling embarrassed now. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I don't, don't think that they should feel embarrassed, but they're saying that they are, including the former police chief of the Auburn Police Department, the guy who fired James D'Angelo Jr., who is the suspect said he's embarrassed to learn that he's that, that James D'Angelo is the suspect. I, which I don't understand. I don't know. He and fired him for theft, and he hadn't killed anybody at that time. So I guess the police chief was uh, should be prescient, knowing that a, a guy I fired is going to end up killing 12 people. I think they're also feeling like, oh, it gives all law enforcement a bad name. I mean, but I, you'd have to be a really virulent anti law enforcement person to try to take this and say, hey, that killer was a former right. cop, and that means all cops are, you know, psychotic killers. Yeah. Well, uh, not only are some people uh, embarrassed, some people may have been arrested because of that killer. That didn't make sense. A guy was falsely convicted yeah. of a murder, 38 years. and they're now thinking maybe it was the Golden State Killer. Exactly, so and it, there, the new whole, arrest may help solve the old murder. And there's a whole story about this guy, and the cop who looked at it and spent a good part of his career undoing the conviction and the allegations that are being made. And in the end, he spent 38 years in prison. 38 years, and if you look at the money that he got uh, with the state, Paid him $1.9 million. It's 50 grand a year to spend your life in prison. Uh, uh, you're, not are you talking about this later in the show? Are I am. you getting into I the think, details? Are we, are we going to? Yes. Yeah. Because this, this is a, a hell whole, of a case. There's a whole topic. You want to talk about a hero police officer. You know, we always think police officers, they try to frame people and they right. try to get the guy at all costs. Here's a guy who put in considerable effort because he had a feeling it was wrong. Considerable? He put in enormous effort. Yeah. And he so, was right. And that was wrong. And that is a story I want to share with you. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, and do plenty more. This is KFI and Amy King. All right, KFI handle here. Some of the big stories uh, we are covering, actually the biggest, is uh, the migrant story uh, at the border a very fundamental flaw that I think undercuts the entire argument that those who uh, want to stop people from coming over and do not like this asylum and make an argument. And I'll share that with you. Coming up at 7 o'clock, we're going to have Alex Stone join us. All right, back we go. More handle on the news. Amy King in for Jennifer, Wayne Resnick, and me. Uh, State Senator Ricardo Lara wants illegal aliens to be able to serve on uh, boards and commissions in the state. And he submitted a law to make it happen. Senate Bill 174. 
Changes the law. Right. Currently under the law, you have to be a citizen at the time of your appointment to any such board and commission, and he wants to take away that requirement. Why would you do that? Because you're a liberal, and you don't believe there's anything uh, like borders, and you think we're all one happy kumbaya family, and that, uh, as Vincente Fox, when he was president of Mexico, said, the border is an artificial line that we are all the same, Mexicans and Americans. There is no difference. That's why. So we could go down to Mexico and get on a city commission? Uh, no. Okay. No. That's very, that's, that's very different. The scary part about this is that if the legislature passes this, it's law because the states control the election process. I even think that the states have the ability to say that American citizens, non-American citizens, can vote in presidential elections unless there is a a law in Congress which supersedes. But from what I understand now, uh, the election process controlled by the states per law. Could But the, the federal government could step oh, yeah. in and override that? Sure. Easily. Be interesting to see what happens. You know, the, the, the down, here's the downside of this. For somebody who's like, I'd love to serve on a commission and I'm here illegally and isn't this great? You're making yourself quite high profile at that point, aren't you? Yeah, well, and if the feds are mad at California over this kind of stuff, which they are, you're making yourself target number one. Oh, there's no question. There was uh, uh, school tuition. Remember the story of uh, school tuition in California? No difference between illegal, they're not out of state students, they're considered in state students and get the same, uh, charge the same tuition. There were a group of students that were there who had T-shirts, I'm undocumented, who were standing at the press conference. Isn't that sort of like putting a I think so. on your it chest? No, you know what? When Obama was president, maybe not, because the philosophy was very right. different. But under this administration— I doubt that would happen. Bad news. Yeah, wait till you see the bill being introduced by one of the legislature saying, not only can you run for office, all you have to do is register as an illegal alien and you get a passport. Right there. Okay. Someone who will not be uh, arresting any of those people wearing those teacher uh, t-shirts is Thomas Homan. Yeah, Thomas Homan's got to go, man. <laughs> He's stepping down from his job as ICE's acting director. He's been in place uh, soon since Trump took office in 2017. And Trump said, hey, dude, I want you to be my main guy. I want you to stay around. And he said, nah, sorry. Yeah, he's leaving. He doesn't like his boss. Uh, yeah. A lot he doesn't of people, like a lot security of secretary. Well, John so. Kelly, uh, the, uh, 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 the chief of staff, uh, interesting story yesterday where he called uh, Trump an idiot, a moron. And um, No, it was, uh, it was uh, Tillerson who called him a moron. No, no. And uh, also, th- that's what Tillerson did. But John Kelly, the chief of staff, called him an imbecile. And he's saying I didn't, but there's too many people that said, oh, yes, you did. That's another story. You're going to see Kelly leaving, too. Yeah, they're saying he he could be out by his... Oh, yeah. Bill, I bet you're excited about this story. Supreme Court is going to hear the case of an inmate who says you can't execute me because it will be extra painful for me. Yeah. These are lawyers coming up with anything 
throwing everything against the wall, hoping something sticks. Although they're not trying to, they're not trying to get him to not be executed. Oh yes, they are. No, Usually. they're well. Yes, they are. Not on, not over. Not on this issue. Yeah, his name, the the killer's name is Russell Bucklew, and he uh, did a bunch of terrible stuff. And uh, his lawyers are saying that he has a disease called cavernous. Hemangioma or something like that pronunciation. Basically, it makes blood-filled tumors around your head, neck, and throat. And they're saying that if they give him lethal injection, these tumors full of blood will burst oh, please. and block his airway and fill his mouth with blood and kill him. Well, and right. make it Isn't much more purpose? make it much more agonizing right. than Eighth normally Amendment. it would be. Cruel and now, unusual. currently, they're not saying therefore you can't execute them. They're that's saying at this point, right? They're saying please yeah, use that nitrogen hypoxia. But that's, but that's the next step. Is that they're clever? They're like, well, they don't have that protocol. Uh, yes, and, and so let's say the Supreme Court says, okay, you can kill him if you do the nitrogen. But then they it's argue it's going to take the state forever, right. to try then, to get approval. Then you go down to uh, the state court. And it's another 25 years if the court says yes. And do they come back later? Let's say the state goes fast tracks approving the nitrogen protocol. Do they end up back in the Supreme Court saying, you know, that's also too cruel? Yeah, because that's what they've done. Two great stories about executions. First of all, uh, I can't wait for the uh, legal argument. You can't do executions. Uh, They're so dangerous people die from them. Okay, that's one. <laughs> Cal Ocean is okay. Cal Ocean's going to put the other up. one, and my favorite one, and this is so ridiculous. This is absolutely true. Washington State, you have a choice: either lethal injection or death by hanging. So you had a guy who chose hanging, and they didn't have a default. If you chose hanging, you had to to hang. Here was his legal argument: I am so fat. That when I am hanged, my head might pop off and, and roll on the floor. And? And, Bill, and he won. And yep. he won. Well, well he's no. not going to know he's dead anyway. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, he, well, he would, that's true. But the court agreed with him, saying your head popping off is cruel and unusual punishment. Isn't that, isn't that fabulous? For you, it's oh, value added. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> okay. Right. Another break. That, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, the international, the international tune of uh, workers all over the world. Communists. Pinko communists. Because today, not only is it May 1st, which of course is May Day and my brother's birthday, incidentally, but also it's Workers' Day around the world where workers march and demand great pension plans, great retirement plans, benefits, more money than you're making, better benefits than you'll ever see. It's the International. Amy and uh, Alex and I and John are, uh, we're going to seize the means of production of the show today. Yes. Want to stand up and sing and go upstairs and demand more money. Let's do it, guys. Yeah. Let's organize. Because communism has worked out so <laughs> 
well, well it's not over ne- history. It's just doesn't everyone com- have some? I mean, but on. when you think about it, and just for a moment, it's not necessarily connected to communism. It is the Workers' Day. But who represented the workers historically? The please, it's please, it's quasi a communist. It holiday. is quasi. All right, back we go. Let's do some more news, <laughs> Amy. A 36-year-old man in Newport Beach is in a lot of trouble. Of beating his 65-year-old wife. He's 36, she's 65. Which that, could have him a little upset. That's our, that is, is that what you're saying? You're saying it's no, justified? No, no, no. That's just an interesting... No, no. It's not justified that he uh, has beat her up and is accused of waterboarding her. Yeah, not only beating her up, but waterboarding her, torture. I know. And you watch... You know what his defense is going to be? What? She rolled her eyes. Which has happened before. Oh, yeah. It certainly has. Yeah, he's a, he's going to be charged with punching her, which left her with ba- a black eye, kicking her, with a can- uh, hitting her with a candelabra, cutting her with scissors. Really nice guy. Yeah. Well, after the arrest of the Turpins, David and Louise Turpin, some people thought there should be more oversight over homeschools. And so uh, this uh, assemblyman, Jose Medina, out in Riverside, he introduced Bill uh, 2756, and it would have, it, it wouldn't even, here's the thing, all it would have done is set up an advisory committee to look at the feasibility of putting some more oversight over Which, homeschools, and the homeschool people went nuts and yeah. shut it down. Yep, and I don't understand why you wouldn't want state oversight. You certainly have state oversight of public schools, private schools, you have state oversight. Curriculums have to be established. They have to be registered with the state. Uh, there is, uh, if uh, there's a graduation issue, testing out, they certainly have to comply. Private schools, religious schools, yet homeschooling is exempt. Well, when you're dealing with the larger schools, it's a big group. When you're dealing with homeschool, you're, yeah, but you can teach you're your kids one person. But you can teach your kids anything. It can be all religious. There's not a state... Uh, I thought that there was some minimum minimum, curriculum thing that you did have to comply with. I think you have to register with the state, but I don't think there's oversight. I don't think anybody tests the kids, and certainly people don't go out to see if they're at... Let's see the syllabus. Well, that's the main thing, is nobody shows up ever to see what's going on. Yeah. Because the thing with the Turpin, I don't think the problem with the Turpins was their homeschooling curriculum was not up to right. snuff. And it was the whole chaining them to the beds all the time. Yeah, and what, uh, and, what and what the legislator said, this is an outlier. Uh, you cannot look at this and say there's the problem. Because if you start doing that, you have a texting while driving problem. So let's make uh, cell phones illegal. You can't, yeah, but there's you a difference between out, oversight and no, banning something. that's true, but you can't uh, throw out the baby with the bathwater, is effectively what they're saying. Okay, well, this guy should be thrown out. Uh, teacher, former teacher from the Natomas Unified School District, has been sentenced to jail time and probation for using his cell phone to take pictures of students. All right, yeah. Not only taking pictures of students, but using them for... Sexual purposes. How do you only get 30 days in jail for that? Snapping pictures of uh, girls in class, upskirt pictures. How do you only get 30 days? Explain that one to me. Well, let's see. It wasn't. It, it didn't qualify as child pornography because it wasn't explicit enough. 
And my, I wasn't going to guess well, he, that he ended up with some kind of a misdemeanor He did charge. plead con- uh, no contest to charges of attempted possession of child porn, attempted use of a concealed camera. Mm. So they didn't act. But if they had, if they had photos, that's no longer attempted. But the no, this is two separate things with this guy. The photos that he took, obviously, the, these were kids who were in the class. They weren't naked. No, they weren't but they were, doing up, but they were upskirt. But he, yes, but then he also apparently had some other stuff or tried to get some other stuff. Okay, but here's the here's the kicker to this. Yeah, this teacher was a finalist to be California's winner of the Presidential Award of Excellence, which is the nation's highest honor yeah. for science teachers in 2016. Yep, and the two are not necessarily connected. You can be a perv and, and do a, and do a, a and do a and do a great job, uh, whatever you're doing. Mm. Okay, we're done. Yeah, no, I think you can. All right, <laughs> uh, coming up, Alex Stone at the U.S.-Mexico border. What's the latest with the caravan? And I'm going to share with you the big fundamental flaw which makes the anti-illegal immigrants their argument disappear. And I'll explain. KFI AM 640. KFI Handle here. It is a Tuesday morning, May 1st, International Workers' Day. And I will... uh, Talk to you later on. We're, I think we're doing a topic on May Day. Sort of the history of May Day. It's fun. It really is. Why it's become a communist holiday. I'll explain to you later on. All right. Now, uh, the biggest story that we are covering uh, right now, of course, the caravan story. What's going on with the caravan? And Alex Stone, who uh, actually is part of the caravan, uh, trying to become legal, although they're making it very difficult. How was the trip up from Central America on those trains, Alex? You know, darn it, they just will not let me in. I say, you know, look, I, I, I don't, you know, I, clearly I'm American. And, uh, you know, I even have a passport and they will not let me in. But uh, you know what? We'll stay camped out here. No, no, but there are lots of people who are still camped out uh, on the Tijuana side. I'm on the, the San Diego side now, and their wait continues overnight. About uh, eight women and children were allowed in, so that started the process in for processing, not into the U.S. Uh, to uh, to go wherever they want to go. Uh, but uh, since then, uh, nobody else has been allowed in, and the rest of the, the migrants, 150 right around there, uh, continue to camp out, a lot of them children, a lot of them uh, small children, as the families wait for their wave to say, okay, you can come in, claim your asylum, and we'll get this process started. All right, now yesterday uh, the authorities said that the uh, the detention center or uh, the uh, place where they uh, claim asylum that I think it's a, a special uh, place within the uh, border control was filled to capacity. And are you telling me eight people have gone through the process? Yep. It's eight people now. And uh, overnight it was a uh, pretty late last night that they were allowed in. And since then, not a lot of action. In fact, everybody just went back to sleep uh, overnight and, and they're just waking up now. Another cold drizzly morning uh, here along the border. But Uh, There was some excitement among the the migrants thinking, okay, here we go. And then there was no more action. So then that's when they decided, well, this is going to be another night. So the the eight who went in, 
they begin that process. They walk in. They walk up to the person who says, let me see your, your documentation, like they would, you know, whether you land at LAX or you're walking back up from Tijuana, you and I would show our U.S. passport, and then we'd be allowed to continue on. They say, we don't have anything. We're here to claim asylum. Then they are taken into custody, essentially. They go into detainment, and then that begins a process. Eventually, a federal agent will interview them to say, okay, tell me your story. If their story is plausible and, and fits into the uh, asylum laws, then they'll be uh, sent into the system, and then they'll stay in detainment and continue on through the, the, the process of the immigration courts, maybe at some point being allowed to go with GPS monitoring into society. And that's the problem right there is that, that uh, some will disappear in that process and never show back up for court or, or not be monitored. Uh, if the, the federal agent says you don't have a case or it's not believable, they're deported almost immediately back to their home country. So first, they've got to make that case to the federal agent to say, here's why we need asylum in the U.S. Now, is it a separate entrance? I'm assuming it's uh, a separate gate. They're just not going through uh, the same gate as everybody else, where thousands an hour go through. They're going through the, the main door. In fact, that's where they've been camped out. There's been two groups. One, the bigger group outside of the building itself uh, before you get into the, the system of hallways. And then another that is after you've gone over the bridge and come down right before you go into the, the port of entry for the U.S., they're outside that door. So they walk in the main door. They have to declare amne- the, their uh, their asylum case there, and then they, then they go into a back room right. and detainment, almost like a jail in the back. So all they have to do is walk up, and the Border Patrol uh, will stop them like they stop everybody and ask a question. And I've been from Tijuana in the United States. And if you look like you're an American and uh, it looks like they don't have a problem, they wave you through. God help you if you're Hispanic. Everybody gets stopped when they're Hispanic. At that point, uh, are you an American citizen, the Border Patrol asks. Uh, Does the driver or a passenger simply say, we're requesting asylum? Yeah, and in this case, they're walking in. So whoever the the leader is of the family is likely going to be the one to to say that. And then individually, they'll all be determined on if they're going to get asylum. It won't be a, a family in general. In fact, when they go into detention... Uh, after the initial place, the holding area uh, here along the border, then they will go to federal detention centers, and it could be anywhere in the U.S., uh, immigration detention centers, and the families are often split up. The, the men will go to, to male detention centers, the women to, to women, and sometimes the kids will be kept with them. But these migrants know that uh, that what they're doing here could rip apart their family for quite some time, if, if maybe even forever, depending on if they can track them back down and figure out if some were allowed into the U.S., if some went back, that, that this is going to be a, a rough period for them. But they claim that, that this is what they need to do to, to get out of their countries. And a lot of it is going to be when they go up to these federal agents and eventually into the court system, there's no real way to, to know if what they're saying is absolutely the truth. But... Uh, they have to, to look at what evidence there is, and there isn't really always a lot of it, of the stories that they're telling about what they've gone through in their home countries, look at the, the reality of it, and then decide, okay, are they actually fleeing something that uh, that falls into to asylum? Now, the, the Trump administration says the asylum laws in the U.S., the bar is way too low, they believe, so it's easy to, to come up with anything that fits yeah. in there. Nonetheless, the current laws would say if they, they fit, then they get to stay. Now, uh, that was uh, the question I had yesterday. Steve Gregory, he was also at the border, reported yeah. that 
Uh, in fact, num- the number of people who are granted asylum, and this is uh, not coming from a country that is recognized, for example, Cuba, it's almost automatic. Uh, during the Cold War, if you came from Russia or a communist country, it was automatic. Uh, here, the bar is actually pretty high because the number of people who claim asylum and are given asylum is very small. Is that correct? Yeah, generally that that's right. Now, at least in the Trump administration, as we've been talking to, to folks in the administration, they would like the, the number, obviously, to, to go down a little bit more. They feel like there are a lot of cases where it's not truly needed, uh, the asylum, but they fit the criteria uh, and they are given uh, asylum. But the numbers are, are not as high as, as some might think, and a lot of that is because they get weeded out That uh, in that first round. You'll get a lot of folks where the agent says, this doesn't work. You're going right back. Then they go into the immigration court system, and a court says, no, you can't prove that that uh, you're being persecuted or you're in danger in your home country. And really, there's two different cases being made here, Bill. We've got the families, and there are a lot of them. They say that they're leaving violence in El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, uh, gang violence. And then the other group is saying that, and, and they're all together, but uh, but the other argument that we're hearing uh, is the LGBTQ community saying that they are persecuted in those countries right. for their sexual orientation and that they could be killed if, if they stick around and they say, help, we need to go to a country where we're not going to be killed for our sexual orientation. All right, Alex, thank you. You got it. Thanks, All man. right, when we come back, uh, I want to talk about uh, what actually happens at the border and how they can tell easily whether there's real persecution, there's an easy way of doing it, and the fundamental flaw that those who are advocating stopping illegal aliens from coming in, just a flaw, and all that coming up, and your chance to win $1,000. In the meantime, KFI, handle here. On a Tuesday, May Day, here's your chance to win some money. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword LUCK to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's LUCK to 200-200. If you're the winner, they're going to call you, but you have to answer the call like Angela in San Clemente. She won $1,000, and you have another chance to win $1,000 next hour. All right, we were uh, just talking with Alex Stone, actually, about what's going on at the border uh, with the caravan. Down in San Ysidro, yesterday we talked to Steve Gregory, also at the border. And as Alex and Steve both said and explained what is actually happening at the border for people seeking asylum. They walk through or drive through, in this case walking, and at the border simply say, I'm seeking asylum. Then moved over to a room where a specially trained Border Patrol agent starts questioning them. And there are very specific rules about asylum. Uh, We're talking about political persecution, uh, violence to the point where your lives are at stake or in danger. The narco-traficantes, for example, controlling El Salvador and Guatemala and people being threatened with their lives. And if they don't pay protection, they'll be killed. And the president says that uh, our laws, immigration laws, particularly asylum laws, are very weak. They're not. They're actually very strong. It is very difficult to be granted asylum because the questioning starts. And the analogy is, I don't know if you've ever flown El Al uh, when they do the security. 
they immediately split families up and start asking questions. So let's say that happens at the border, which I'm assuming it does because they uh, obviously are questioning people about the reality of the claims. So you take a husband and wife, even kids, separate everybody out and start questioning. Why do you think you're in danger? Well, because the narco-traficantes have, in fact, uh, threatened my mother, my father. They killed my uncle, which is not unusual, by the way. Okay, what did they say? And, well, this is what they said. Well, if it's not true, you've got different stories. Or, I don't know, where were you standing? What were you wearing? It's fairly easy to determine whether someone is giving a rehearsed line. Let's say what was said, and everybody has exactly the same line, word per word. Well, you know, it's it's not that easy. I remember when we flew El Al, they split my wife and I apart and started asking questions. How many sinks in your bathroom? Two. What kind of toothpaste do you use? Hmm. How big is your closet? How many closets do you have? Those answers better mesh, and they can't be word for word. The point I'm making is it is very difficult to come through and claim asylum and fraudulently do it. And there's just two, and this is the problem that's going on at the border right now, because you have. Uh, you, you have groups, activist groups, lawyers that are helping people, American lawyers that are on the other side, telling people, here's what you say. Here's what you have to do. Well, uh, you know, Border Patrol agents aren't that stupid. So it's not the laws. The laws are fine. And I think they are being enforced just fine. Now, the fundamental flaw that the, uh, act, not the activists, but the people that are against immigration coming in. And it said over and over again, Donald Trump has said it, Mike Pence has said it, people in the administration, people in Congress have said it. There are ways to come over here legally. If they want to come over, let them apply like everybody else. So where's the flaw? It's impossible. They can't do it. The government will never let them in. They might as well try to immigrate from Mars. You have a poor Latino trying to come in. They can apply all they want. And by the way, it's not inexpensive to apply. It's hundreds of dollars. It is a denial. There is no way anybody from Latin America is coming into the United States legally. It doesn't exist. It's Santa Claus. My niece has a boyfriend in Brazil. She's in Brazil right now, and she does studying down there. And trying to get him to come to the United States for a visit. He's a lawyer. He makes a good income. He has assets. He has applied. Denied. Denied. Why? Uh, we don't have to give you a reason. Denied. You know what the real reason is? South America. And that's someone who has assets. Can you imagine someone who has no job, doesn't have an education, underskilled, 
applying. So when you hear the administration or people that argue against immigration in general, they, they can always come in legally. That's a crock. They cannot. That argument is off the table. And watching these people, I mean, how does your heart not go out to these people? My God, the families, the kids. It's not a good thing to live in South Central America and deal with it. There are toilets down there to live in. And if you have the very bad luck to grow up in El Salvador, be born there, you're screwed. If you're not in the upper, upper classes, totally screwed. All right. Coming up, wrongly convicted of the Golden State Killer crime, we think. Guy spends 38 years in jail. Can you imagine? Wrongly. KFI AM 640. It's gonna, 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 it's gonna be May. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, May 1st, May Day. We'll be playing the International Workers' Day all over the world. And a little history of May Day. It's kind of fun. Uh, Also, uh, helping the American Red Cross Initiative Get Prepared California. We're asking you to donate. You and a guest will mix and mingle with the KFI crew for an exclusive evening at the beautiful OUE Skyscape in Los Angeles. Cocktails and appetizers from nearly 1,000 feet above the city in the iconic U.S. Bank Tower. Guaranteed you are going to be scared to death and get airsick. You'll meet the team, live Q&A session, photo opportunities, and unlimited sky slide rides following the mixer. You have to be 21 years or older. 100% of the proceeds will benefit the American Red Cross. Get prepared, California campaign. We have limited tickets, so get them before they're gone. For more details, log on to KFIAM640.com and search Mixer. Okay. You can do that twice? Yes, so I can't crumple up the paper. Fair enough. A sidebar story of uh, the Golden State Killer is a story of a man who was convicted of what might have been one of the killings of the Golden State Killer. And uh, it's about a woman... In 1978, uh, a waitress, 24 years old, beaten, raped, and strangled in her apartment. And just down the hallway in the apartment, her four-year-old son smothered and suffocated to death in his bed. So hours after the body was discovered, the body eased by a relative, uh, Craig Coley was arrested. Former boyfriend. They had recently broken up. He was charged. The first trial resulted in a hung jury. They tried him again. Convicted of murder in 1980, sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. He was behind bars for more than 38 years, adamant that he was innocent. Petitioned for clemency. No luck. Well, there is a police detective in the city of Simi Valley where this happened. And he started looking at the case. And this is what they do. It was a cold case. And said, there's something really hinky here. Uh, there's just something wrong about this. And uh, this detective, Bender, uh, what's his first name? Uh, Mike Bender. Looked at this and said, you know what? There's just something not right. First of all, there were several solid su- suspects. Never pursued. Uh, evidence wasn't uh, analyzed properly. 
He basically said a real investigation hadn't occurred and a man was put in jail forever. So uh, Bender met Coley at a state prison in 1991 and became convinced this man was innocent. And he went to his superiors. Please let me reopen the case. In 1991, his superiors ordered him, stop pursuing the case or you're going to be fired. So Bender takes 16 boxes from the case to his new home in Northern California. Every Saturday, he calls and talks with Coley by phone. Now, keep in mind, he was told to drop the case in 1991 or he'd be fired. In September of 2015, Bender is now retired. He pleaded with government agencies, look into the case. There is something wrong. He requested the Board of Parole hearings conduct an investigation. Now enter the police chief of Simi Valley, David Livingstone, who was 11 years old when the killings happened. He took an interest in the case. He organized his agency's newspaper clippings, the archives. And then he learned, you know, the biological evidence used to convince Coley can be reexamined using DNA technology that wasn't available in 1978. So he's investigating and he learns that the biological evidence in this case was ordered destroyed by a judge. But sometimes, sometimes, the evidence just is misfiled. And it turns out there was a private lab in Northern California that had the evidence. The lab had inherited the evidence after two other labs who had it went out of business. So they went ahead and uh, tested the DNA. Coley's DNA did not match at all. He had nothing to do with these murders. Now, they're still looking for the perpetrator, and they're saying that it could be D'Angelo. They haven't yet connected the dots, but they think they're going to. So at that point, Simi Valley Police and the Ventura County DA's office supported Coley's petition for clemency, writing they no longer have the confidence in the weight of the evidence used to convict Coley. Brown signed the pardon, and he actually wrote that the detective who originally investigated the case either mishandled the investigation or out-and-out framed Coley. Coley has been a model inmate for four decades, 38 years. He dedicated himself to religion, Brown writes. He may be probably as the longest serving prisoner in California to be granted clemency. And when you're wrongly convicted, you get some money. And so the highest award ever paid to an exonerated California prisoner went to Coley. And he got three point he got one point nine million dollars from the state. One point nine million dollars. Fifty thousand dollars a year for being incarcerated. Does that seem fair? Can you imagine fifty grand a year in your jail? You know you're innocent. At the end of thirty eight years, you get one point nine million dollars. Wow. You talk about a total miscarriage 
So he was freed. And you know where he's living? He's living in San Diego with his friend and savior, the retired detective, Mike Bender, and his wife. It's a great story. Okay, uh, another story of the homeless. We never get too far away from the homeless, do we? And this has to do with not where you camp, but where you park. So why don't you just meet me in the middle? In the middle. Baby. Why don't you just meet me? KFI. Handle here on a May Day. It's a Tuesday. And some of the big stories we're uh, carrying, and of course, that are trending uh, the migrants, the caravan, and, uh, you know, as the president said, thousands and thousands are coming over. And let me count how many actually came over yesterday. Eight. Eight. And you've got a couple of hundred waiting for their turn. Hmm. All right. Uh, homeless. Oh, God. How many days can we go without a homeless story? Not many. So here's another spin on the homeless story. And this one actually makes sense. Because this is not taxpayer dollars. This is helping the poor the way that conservatives don't want tax money to help. You know what they say? There's enough out there from charities to help the poor. The government should not be involved. That is definitely a very conservative view. And so what is happening? Well, there are plenty of poor people that live in cars. There are plenty of poor people that live in RVs. And the problem has been, where do they park? Because streets, after, what, three days, you're done. Your RVs, where are you going to park those? Well, churches are opening up their parking lots. For example, St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Los Angeles. Originally, you know, they were looking at the risks of uh, offering up parking lots to the down-and-out strangers, but they're saying it's working beautifully. Uh, St. Mary's became the first site in L.A. to offer this safe parking site to shelter some of the city's more than 8,500 vehicle dwellers. It's not a small number of people who live in cars. Now, there's a nonprofit, Safe Parking LA, which handles security and screening and just logistics. And then they help connect people in cars and RVs to the churches. Uh, also, synagogues uh, are doing this. There's a synagogue in the West Valley uh, that's opened up. Temple Judea in Tarzana. Now, the synagogues, uh, synagogues do offer a discount to the homeless. The churches are free. All right. Yeah. Okay, Handel, come on. I get a pass on those. I get a pass. Just ask management. And the issue becomes, and it's a big issue, and that is, uh, is this the way charity is supposed to run? One of the things about uh, America is we are known and we are the most charitable country in the world. We give more to charity than any other country per capita. And as a result also of uh, the big numbers, too. 
real numbers. But I think the reason is that we don't have a safety net the way other countries do. I mean, we're talking about industrialized country. You go to Yemen, you go to Somalia, of course, it's a whole different world. But we're talking about industrialized countries where there is a safety net. And you don't need these charities. People don't live on the streets. Unless you're a a high teenager smoking dope in the middle of uh, the square in Amsterdam. And so what happens is we have to fill in the gaps. And we do. With charities. The problem with homelessness is it has exploded beyond our ability to even begin to cope with it. And look what happened in Orange County. Look what's happening in LA. There doesn't seem to be any answers. Nobody wants these homeless encampments. The churches and the synagogues, at least these, are saying, we'll open up our parking lots. I mean, I don't know what people do when they go to church. You know, do they move those people out? I have no idea. You can walk. Now, effectively, that's, I guess that's a form of socialism, single-payer kind of thing. Now, if I'm a member of a synagogue and I can't park at the synagogue and I have to park four blocks away because the synagogue's parking lot is being used for homeless people, my heart goes out to them. I'm switching synagogues. Damn straight. Because I don't think it's just the parking lot. It's security. Uh, It's toilets. It's the problem. It's a cleanup. Because homeless people are not the cleanest people in the world. Not not only in terms of personal hygiene. But in terms of the garbage that's left behind. Because you're talking about poor people. Many of them are drug addicts. Although... This nonprofit ostensibly screens the homeless people. You know, as I said many, many times, the answer to homelessness here in Southern California is going to be very incremental steps. Little tiny steps because the cost is so hideous. It's not just a place to stay. It's the services that surround the homeless that they so desperately need. And it all costs a lot of money. So, One of the small steps are churches and synagogues and mosques opening up their parking lots for people who live in their homes and RVs. I think it's wonderful. Of course, I'll never belong to a synagogue that does that, but I think it's wonderful. Coming up, Brian Suits, Tactical Tuesday, and of course, Iran and North Korea. What else are we going to talk about? Sometimes Russia, but I think this is more Iran and North Korea this time around. KFI AM 640. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. We're airborne. We don't start fights. We finish them. And this is uh, KFI Handle here. And uh, good morning on May Day, May 1st. And I'll tell you a little bit more about May Day uh, coming up at 9.30. There's a whole story to this, including this is uh, the best day the communists have all year long. I mean, for real. And I'll explain that. All right, time for Brian Suits. Uh, Tactical Tuesday. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, KFI's Bill. Okay, a little bit echoey. 
Uh, how about now? Uh, a little bit echoey. Okay. We'll, we'll try it. Okay, let me do it. Okay. We, we need to yell at John on that one, but let's just keep going. No, that's okay. We're doing an echo segment with uh, the infamous Brian Suits. Before we get into that, Brian, I know you're doing a show, and I want to tell people about it. Uh, it's uh, Thursday, uh, day after tomorrow, 8 to 10 o'clock at Dave & Buster's in Arcadia. Uh, war movie moments, your favorite ones. A 10-question, $100 trivia quiz. Max team size is four. Now, we're Yeah, my first, my first ever trivia. Uh, people have been saying you should do a trivia night. I'm, I'm doing a trivia night at a bar. All right. Uh, can you share one question? That would make it nine questions. See if uh, it works with me. What, what was the name of the American invasion plan for Japan? If we had done it, what was the name of that operation? Oh, God, I actually knew that. I was actually yeah, watching that, a That's hit. not an answer. No, I know that. And it's going to win you. I'm not even going to let you say uh, what it is. Oh, no, I'm not. Uh, I know it's not Operation Barbarossa because Hitler would have had to do that. Uh, it's not Overlord because uh, then it would make that D-Day. Yeah, that had been done. Uh, yeah. That was so 1944. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. And, I, and, when, you, and when you finally say it, I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's not fair. That's not fair. Alex just looked it up, and she's whispering it to me. So I'm not going to do that. That is the secret of the Bill Handel trivia challenge, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, Alex has to uh, look it all up. All right, uh, let's go to what's happening. we got a lot of tactical news to cover. Uh, yesterday, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel uh, did a, a, a pony show. Uh, it was hilarious. It was a show and tell in which here's the proof of the secret Iranian nuclear program of which the Iranians lied. And he started pulling off, like you're uh, pulling off these drapes, uh, these covers, like he was literally showing a new statue in the park. Uh, explain what went on and how much truth there is to this. Well, it was, I mean, it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, terribly disguised. It was a show for one. It was <clears throat> intended for Trump's consumption, and evidently he did see it. The premise of the Israelis was, listen, we did this amazing operation, and it sounds like it was amazing. They went into the heart of Tehran, and they physically pulled a bunch of Iranian nuclear archives out of a structure that was designed and built just to safeguard these things. So that was amazing. Problem was, most of the data that he put up there uh, was assumed or known. Now, the, the, he, what Netanyahu was getting to was that at the very beginning of the so-called joint comprehensive plan of action that the U.S. and the, the, all the other parties plus Iran signed, the Iranians were supposed to say right up front, do you or do you not have a nuclear program? And Netanyahu proved yesterday that they lied. At the very beginning of the agreement, they lied. And at the point where they should have just come clean and said, eh, yeah, we've had a nuclear program for 10 years, they lied and covered it up, except the response from the non-proliferation committee has been, well, we knew they had that, so this is not that big of a deal. Um, I'm, I'm in the middle on this. It's that the, the Iranians lied at a point when they were supposed to be showing us they, they could be trustworthy, and the fact that we knew that they had a nuclear program doesn't change that. This is like you going to your daughter and saying, um, first of all, report to me if your room is dirty. If it is, please get in there and clean it. And your daughter's saying, I promise you it's not dirty. However, I will monitor it. And if it becomes dirty, I will clean it. 
and then I will report to you when it's clean. And then you saying, okay, good talk. Now, in, I'm in the middle of this whole thing, too, because everybody here has, I, I think, an argument. Uh, number one is uh, it was a bad deal. I think Trump was absolutely right. It was a bad deal. Uh, two is uh, the countries that were involved, and it's half the country of Europe, half of Europe and us, uh, said this is the best we could do. And the United States did sign it. Now, granted, it was Obama. And, of course, anything that Obama does is inherently evil, bad, illegal, uh, as far as the Trump administration is concerned. But the argument is we signed a deal. You can't just turn around and abrogate even a bad deal. because. Well, that's the thing. Is it, it was a treaty, right? Well, I read the Constitution. The United States Senate is supposed to ratify treaties, and Obama engineered this specifically so that the, the Senate never saw it. And so the argument is being made by every constitutional scholar out there that this is the, effectively an executive order yeah. and that in reality you could say to the Iranians, this isn't legal on our end. <clears throat> we want to make it legal on our end and our Senate has to ratify it. Yeah, except that that is considered a technicality because it is a deal. Now, whether you want to call it a treaty, whether you want to call it an agreement, the point is it was made... Uh, we shook hands with the Iranians. All the countries in Europe shook hands. And now to argue, well, it's technically not a treaty. That's like saying uh, we didn't go to war in uh, the, the Korean War because it really wasn't a declaration of war pursuant to the Constitution. That is a technicality as far as the world is concerned. Tell me that if Trump doesn't pull out, it will not be considered an abrogation of a deal that was cut. Uh, it, it would be, and obviously the North Koreans are looking really, really closely at this. Uh, and just like the Iranians are looking really closely at how we're going to deal with the North Koreans. So what's going to be made clear, and we'll talk about this in the next segment, but the Iranians are saying, wait a minute, what's the difference between what you're about to do with the North Koreans? And this is the bottom line for people on this is regardless of what Trump does, if he tears up the deal, um, no matter what, the Iranians are going to restart their nuclear program, maybe in 10 years, maybe in 20 but their neighbors, who are not a part of this deal, Gulf Arab states they and the Israelis, they don't trust the Iranians. Um, there is a nuclear deterrent in the form of the Israeli nukes. The Saudis might rent any nukes. So it's not like Iran is suddenly going to be some nuclear rogue state. All right, we're going to come back. May Day, and we're going to talk more about May Day at 930. It's a fun holiday if you're a communist. Uh, I'll explain that to you at 930. And here's your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200. The winner is notified with a phone call. If you don't answer it, they move on to somebody else. James in Fallbrook, he answered the call and won $1,000. Your next chance to win coming up next hour. All right. Uh, I want to move over to the uh, what's going on at the DMZ, uh, the demilitarized zone between North Korea and South Korea. And this is probably where the Trump-Kim Jong-un uh, summit is going to take place. This is where the meeting is going to take place based on... Well, two reasons. One, this is where uh, Moon of South Korea and Kim of North Korea met. 
in a historic meeting in which, man, they, they if you think that uh, Macron and Trump had a bromance, what Kim and Moon had, I mean, they damn near had sex. It was extraordinary how the two met. And they're jumping back and forth over that curb, just having a rip-roaring good time. And so the same thing is going to happen with President Trump. Now, I am pretty anti-Trump in many, many ways. You know, I'm not a big fan of President Trump. But when he does something right, you you have to give him the credit. Unfortunately, the anti-Trump people will never give him credit for anything. His agreement to meet with Kim Jong-un, I think, number one, is extraordinary. I think it's groundbreaking. And I think... Uh, Trump may very be well be on the way to a Nobel Peace Prize, uh, prize with Kim Jong Un and uh, Moon Jae-in, the two presidents, and well, actually the three presidents, if you want to call Kim Jong Kim Jong Un a president. I, that's sort of stretching it. Um, your take on this, what, do Wayne? You think, is this one of those times? Because one of the raps on President Trump is that he's not presidential. He doesn't comport himself with sort of the dignity that you would expect from a president. And he doesn't. Is this one of those situations, though, where after so many other presidents have tried, that it actually required somebody, uh, for want of a better phrase, to sort of get down in the rhetoric mud with Kim Jong-un? Because before, Kim Jong-un would be like, you know, we're going to set you on fire and explode your heads and we're going to do all. And, and President Obama, for example, would never give anything back like that, right? But is this the kind of guy, Kim Jong-un, where that's what it takes to get his attention and, it may and be. to get him to change his tactics? Now, I'm going to give Kim Jong-un most of the credit here. He's the one that is made the first steps. Uh, he's the one that requested the meeting, although they've been requesting meetings with presidents for 50 years, 60 years. And, of course, no president would ever deign to give a North Korean leader uh, a meeting because of, it legitimizes the North Koreans. And Trump effectively is throwing all that away and saying, you know what? We've got an opportunity of making the deal. You know that he sat down when doing his real estate deals that he was sitting down with people that were fighting to keep him from building anything. There were people on various boards that would say, the last thing I'm ever going to do is allow you to build on that corner. Trump would sit down with him. Hey, let's sit down and work this out. I think previous presidents were afraid that if they engaged North Korea on that level, that they would somehow... Uh, they would acquire the taint of North Korea's craziness. Yep. And I think Trump is like, hey, they got a guy who yells and says stuff. I yell and say stuff, too. The taint is, who's the taint more on? Kim Jong-un for dealing with Trump or Trump for dealing with Kim Jong-un because they're both crazy. Now, Donald Trump is not crazy that I think he would ever unleash I don't think that for a moment. As a matter of fact, if you look at the threats he's made and what he's actually done militarily, that's the, the military invasions or the military. Pretty very, restrained very use restrained, of force. Very restrained use of force. Because I don't think he's crazy. No. I think, I think Kim Jong-un may is also. Crazy. Mm, he It may turn out. President Trump may be the window into understanding that Kim yep. Jong-un really never was 
crazy crazy. He just used what we consider crazy levels of rhetoric. To keep control of North Korea. And I don't think President Trump is a crazy person, but he does use levels of rhetoric maybe, that we think of as being crazy. That's a very good point, that we have two presidents uh, where we only had one uh, that was the Kim Jong-un of the world, and now we have two. We have a president of the United States. We have a president of North Korea or a leader of North Korea, a dictator, and they're both nuts enough to where they sit down and, and realism happens. For example, um, it was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was so adamantly anti-communist. I mean, crazy anti-communist. He was part of throwing people in jail for being communists during the 50s. I mean, he made his career a fighting communist. I'm calling people fellow travelers. I mean, it was vicious. He was able to open up China. No other president could have done it. Stayed button-down diplomacy only works if you're dealing with another yep. country that agrees that all diplomacy should be stayed and buttoned down. Yep. And North Korea is not that country. I, I got to tell you, I think, uh, I think this president is going to pull it off. And I think this may very well be the best thing he does as president, even if he does two terms. I mean, this is what he's going to be noted for in history. All right, coming up, Handle on the News, late edition. Handle on the News. Late edition. Handle on the news. I'm here to make jokes. I have no agenda. I'm not trying to get anything accomplished. And now, here's Bill Handel. That's about right. 8 uh, 30 now, and uh, time for Handle on the News Late Edition. But first, uh, Wayne Resnick, you have an announcement. Yeah, it's a way to help a good cause and meet all the people here from KFI. You can donate now. To help the American Red Cross Initiative to Get Prepared California. And you and a guest will mix and mingle with the KFI crew for an exclusive evening at the beautiful OUE Sky Space in Los Angeles. Cocktails, appetizers, and unlimited sky slide rides after the event, which is this thing outside the building where you slide down from one floor to the next. It scares the heck out of me. A thousand feet in the air. Yeah. And uh, you can whole- watch yourself... About to careen onto the sidewalk below. No, it's perfectly safe and nobody has been injured in the thing. I know, but you still think it. Yeah, All guests must be 21 it. years or older to attend this thing. And 100% of the proceeds benefit the American Red Cross Get Prepared California campaign. Now, they're limited tickets. You want to get them before they're gone. For all the details, log on to KFIAM640.com and search the keyword Mixer. Yeah, one of the cardinal rules are you eat the appetizers appetizers after the sky ride. <laughs> <laughs> Have you changed your mind? Are you going to do it? I have no idea yet. Come on. Don't know. Wait, you said when you, she asked you last time, you said you were going to do it. Changed my mind. Oh, no. Don't know yet. Mm. He's okay. got plenty of time to get his courage together. Thank goodness. All right, let's do it. Handle on the News Late Edition. Amy King in for Jennifer this week. Wayne Resnick and me, lead story. It's a May Day. It's also Workers, International Workers Day, which I'm going to tell you more about at 930. But, of course, uh, Workers Day, which means uh, labor unions, and thrown in a lot are immigrant rights activists and women's and LGBTQ advocates, are going to be marching in several places in Los Angeles today. Got a big one uh, downtown at Pershing Square. It starts at 11. Yep. This is an international holiday. This is the only international holiday 
where around the world they celebrate this. Really? Uh huh. Like everybody around the world has the day off? But no else, most people have the day off. It's considered a national <laughs> holiday, not us. Uh, and you know where May Day actually started? Mm-mm. Us. And we're one of the few countries where it isn't a national holiday. I'm going to explain a lot more uh, about that at 930. Uh, well, then we've got asylum seekers at the border, and that means the president is slamming them. So far, all eight of them. <laughs> well, eight of them who've been interviewed, I guess, by asylum officers. There's, what, 100 to 150 still waiting. And 11 have been detained, but Trump administration officials are rallying against what they call legal loopholes and catch-and-release policies that let people seeking asylum be freed. Now, there is, there is a catch-and-release. Isn't this different, though? Yeah, because there's only 250,000 people in the system that have already been seen by a judge and several hundred thousand more that are awaiting to see a judge, of which tens of thousands are in detention. And I have no problem with changing all that around. Where are we going to get the money? I don't know, but Attorney General Jeff Sessions is pledging to send more judges to the border if needed so they can speed up the cases. That would be nice. But like you said, where do you get the money? Well, uh, tomorrow, a House panel is going to interview EPA Chief Scott Pruitt's former head of security. I want security. And former because he resigned yesterday. Pasquale Parada. He's a former Secret Service agent. I know he worked on the Gambino crime family thing when he was with the uh, DA in Bronx. And he led Scott Pruitt's 24-hour security detail. And it's all about Scott Pruitt's personal issues. Not about what he is doing, whether he's qualified, because he's already been, uh, of course, confirmed. It's about the money he spent and uh, the uh, personal items, taking his family to Europe. So Scott Pruitt, they're waiting for him to arrive in his private jet uh, that the government is paying for. He should be in Washington this afternoon. Where was Scott Pruitt before he was EPA chief? Do you know? I don't know. No, I don't know. Was he in government? Because aren't they supposed to know you're not supposed to do these things? Yeah, but he he said it's necessary because his policies are so controversial. He has a point there. That people get mad at him, and so he has to be kept safer than, say, if his policies were not as controversial. Private private, uh, security, well, a lot of security, extra security, private flights. Yeah. Okay. Uh, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly says, I didn't say that. Don't want to be an American Yes, he did. Well, John Kelly, who doesn't speak in public a lot, issued a swift public denial to a new report from NBC that he called President Trump an idiot recently. There are four sources for that, although they're all, they're anonymous. The they're all anonymous, but and I would, really but you could have a hundred anonymous I sources, and they're still all anonymous. How do you do news without anonymous uh, sources? Well, one of these anonymous sources said in a meeting. Kelly reportedly said he doesn't even understand what DACA is. He's an idiot. Now, well, obviously, we're never going to know because it was a meeting uh, amongst some staffers. And and unless one of the staffers, I think one of them did, or at least one of the sources may be a staffer. Uh, So it's going to be a a he said, they said kind of thing. So there's no way to ever really confirm the story. What would happen if the media only reported things that were confirmed by people on the record? The 99%. Of their news would not would be non-existent, but all the news that they reported would be uh, unassailable. 
in its in its integrity. And you would just have fewer of these and, like slightly salacious right. but you sto- can because never, at the end of the, the day, o- what does it matter if John Kelly said that that well, he doesn't know what DACA is, he's an idiot. What well, does it matter? It does matter because he's a chief of staff to the president. The other side of it and uh, I think you're right. There's some real, real issues regarding anonymous sources is if there is no one to contradict, for example, what was said, then you just take what the White House says uh, and that's it. That's the truth. So whatever Trump says, uh, you're done. There were more people at the inauguration. Uh, it was uh, Barack Obama was born in Kenya. I mean, that's it. So I think that if you're willing to tell a reporter something like that, you should be willing to uh, be on the record about it. Well, except then you'd lose your job because if these are informants in the White House. Well, these are choices that you have to make. Do you want to inform the public debate or do you want to keep your job if something's so – then maybe you should restrict your whistleblowing to things that are super big and important. Maybe. Not name calling. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and finish it up. This is – crew mayday today let's finish up handle on the news late edition amy king in for jennifer wayne resnick and me well you want to talk about a short escape from uh, jail this guy uh, escaped from jail and was captured half an hour later mark schwartz is his name and here's the best part he really wanted to break out of jail because he was serving a four-day sentence for dui and after two days he got out of there he had to Get over the fence and the whole thing. But they caught him half an hour later, and uh, boy, did he not look good. He was all wet because he had jumped into a creek. He was bleeding. Because he well, climbed the, over, because a he climbed over the razor fence. wire on the <laughs> fence. Gene pool issue. Oh, my goodness. This is the Darwin Award winner. And now he's oh, going to yeah. be in for a lot longer than four days. Yeah, felony escape. Yeah. Okay, well, here's another one. He tried to escape, but didn't think it through very well. Ain't that a kick in the head? An inmate was being transported from the Santa Clarita Sheriff's Station to downtown L.A. about 3 o'clock in the morning. So the inmate starts kicking out the window of the uh, patrol car and tries to escape right around Hollywood Way on the southbound 5. So the deputy pulls over to try to get the inmate back into custody, calls her back up. They get him. The inmate suffered several lacerations from climbing out the broken window and had to go to the hospital. Yeah. Doesn't help to escape. It's sort of like when animals are in a trap and they bite their leg off. Yeah, it's not uh, great. It's sort of that. No, it doesn't usually work out well for them. Yeah, but the animals don't get rearrested. Uh, that's not a pizza. That's some smack. He's the new sensation in the nation. Pizza Boy USA. The leader of Manny's Delivery Service, which was kind of like pizza delivery service, except heroin and cocaine. Drugs. Oh, and also uh, marijuana. And instead of Grubhub, they called it uh, Bud Hub. (laughs) And this was going on for years. Yeah, well, he pled guilty uh, in federal court. He's looking at a minimum of 20 years. His yeah, name a, a is drug. Sigfredo Garola El Don, is his nickname, yeah. Barrientos, yeah, just 41 a, of Silmar. Straight uh, drug delivery service. Trucks, they, all of it. Did they guarantee delivery in 30 minutes or less? I don't know, but they add normal business hours. Oh, that's hilarious. It wasn't, it wasn't 24-7 anytime you wanted. They had established business hours. They had vehicles with hidden compartments. 
And people would call up and they'd send somebody out with the drugs and to collect the money. And it was like a regular business. They had wholesale quantities of drugs. They managed employees. They kept ledgers. Mm -hmm. They had storage and transportation. They had a fleet of delivery drivers. Yeah. Hmm. Police in Tennessee had to use a stun gun on a hospital room worker. You could say nurse. nurse. You could say nurse, even though it's a guy. Guys can be nurses. Okay, so uh, police in Tennessee had to use a stun gun on a nurse because the nurse wouldn't leave. The hospital got a call about an employee who had refused to uh, leave work despite being asked by medical staff and the vice president. And so police responded and... Tased him. Yeah. And the good news, he was already in the hospital if there was going to be a medical issue. <laughs> it was in the ER. Why did Yeah. He I, got upset and they said, hey, calm down and get out of here. And I think he punched somebody in the mouth, yeah, right? Yeah, he started yeah. swinging. Mm. Well, the father of one of the Parkland shooting victims is suing a bunch of people. Yesterday. The father, uh, the father of Me- uh, Meadow Pollock. Has filed a wrongful death lawsuit. Here are some of the people named in it. Nicholas Cruz, the shooter. Okay, that makes sense. The sheriff's deputy, Scott Peterson, who is now famous for having waited outside. And three of the teachers at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Why High School. I don't know. I want to see a copy of the complaint and to see got, what the idea there is. And as far as the deputy is concerned, there's no case there. And the reason there's no case there is because the deputy was following protocol. It's up to the deputy to decide whether to go in or to call for backup. And he called for backup. That was not in violation of policy. So he should have gone in. Well, uh, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda doesn't uh, really work in court very often. Have you ever used the word in a legal filing, pusillanimous, Bill? Uh, No. Well, I've never used that word in... Any context. Well, the lawyer for Mr. Pollock did, referring to the deputy, the pusillanimous Scott Peterson remained safe in his position away from Nicholas Cruz. What does that mean? Ah, bah, 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 bah. Well, yeah, I don't even know what that means. Do you know, Wayne? Yeah, but we're out of time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dr. Jim Keeney coming up. Uh, we're talking about synthetic uh, opiates, and uh, there seems to be somewhat of a contradiction going on, and Dr. Jim will explain that to us. KFI AM 640. Oh, help me, please, doctor. I'm damaged. There's a pain where there once was a heart. It's uh, May 1st, May Day, and uh, that's an international holiday. I'll tell you more about that at 930. Interesting holiday. All right. Uh story that is uh, breaking, uh, actually a press release uh, that just came out, and it has to do with uh, the number of Americans who died of drug overdoses. Opiates, of course, are the big problem. And so that's not news. But uh, what is news is how they're being manufactured. And Dr. Jim Keeney, uh, Jim is with us. And uh, Jim, we've talked about this before. And that is, uh, the good news is that fewer prescriptions are being written. They're being written for a, a shorter period of time. The doctors are coming to the table, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, in, in 2012 uh, is really when it peaked. Uh, we had uh, almost 300 million prescriptions written a year. So enough for every man, woman, and child in the United States to, to have a prescription that year. 
Um, and that's dropped, so that's good news. Uh, and, and it's kind of been this progression. So we started, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, people were using heroin when they were abusing opiates. Uh, then, you know, in 2000, we started seeing this explosion of prescriptions. And that's when people started abusing prescriptions as their primary way of, of getting into it. And still, you know, four out of five heroin users uh, say that they started uh, using prescription drugs and then moved on to heroin because it's cheaper to get, it's easier to get, uh, and all of that. But um, now we're seeing a shift from just heroin over the last few years to this, uh, this you know, synthetic opiates that are being manufactured, like fentanyl-related. We hear fentanyl a lot in the news, or the super fentanyl. Now, uh, this is a question that's been plaguing me, and that is at least when people were using prescription drugs, you didn't, and you paid attention to the doses, you didn't die because there wasn't all kinds of crazy stuff in there. The manufactured stuff, uh, done it, like bathtub gin, you have no idea what's going on. So the risk has to be far, far higher. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's much higher because you don't know what you're getting. I mean, nowadays, you know, they, and they've done this before in the past, but they're mixing, you know, these synthetic opiates with cocaine and with other drugs. So even when you don't think you're doing narcotics or opiates, you are. Uh, and, and so people tend to overdose that way. The other thing is that they're making fake pills. So it, it kind of doubles down on the, uh, on the confusion and the, the risk because you don't know what you're getting. So you think you're buying pills on the street that are, uh, that are legitimate pills, but these are counterfeit pills and they're made with synthetic opiates and, and they end up having a lot more in them than you thought. So suddenly you, you think you're just taking a normal pill and you won't overdose, but you do. So, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing this. And the, the shocking thing is, remember in 2016, we reported how, um, you know, the, how opiates had overtaken car accidents in the number of deaths in the United States. And, and that continues to rise. So how does, uh, how does one make uh, a synthetic opiate? Is that an easy thing to do? You know, for a chemistry major, it's not that difficult to do, no. Uh, I mean, for you and me, you probably screw it up pretty badly. But, uh, you know, if, if you know how to do basic chemistry, you can figure this out. So it's, now, is organized crime involved in this? And I know maybe you don't have the information, but is this moving over from uh, the legitimate pharmaceuticals, which uh, are being curtailed, to this explosion of labs and or is an organized crime are they involved sure i mean you know whenever there's money like this there's typically organized crime behind it and uh, and these things are getting imported primarily i mean so this is these aren't being made in the us they're being made in you know southeast asia and, and places like that and then coming up through through south america and different places that uh, that can that have the ability to transport the stuff in it's the same treatment in the r uh for the various drugs, or uh, do you have to separate it out and say, okay, this is this kind of drug, uh, this is, uh, we have to treat it differently if it's another kind of drug? How does that work? Yeah, so we, we categorize them. So, you know, you, you talk about syndromes, uh, we call these toxidromes. And so if you fit into a certain toxidrome, for example, either your pupils are small, which is like an opiate, or your pupils are dilated, which is like a hallucinogen, uh, we go with that. Your pulse is either slow or fast. Your heart rate, you know, your, your respiratory rate is either slow or fast. Once we look at those, we can identify just with those basic signs 
what group you're in, and then those groups have their own treatment. So we would give, you know, the narcotic reversal. If you have small pupils, you're barely breathing, you know, and your heart rate's low, we're going to give the reversal agent for narcotics. Now, as far as the authorities are concerned that oversee all of this, I know the FDA certainly does, and the manufacturer, and I'm assuming to some extent uh, the way you write prescriptions, uh, what information are you getting? What controls are you getting in terms of how much curtailing opiates, just general, uh, not only just advice and information, but what you're forced to do by law? Well, so, you know, we're required now, and I, I think you've got some liability if you're not checking the database when you write a narcotic prescription. So uh, there's now a database of all narcotic prescriptions written so that I can look and see now. Now people can't really doctor shop as easily. Uh, and so if, if you come into the emergency department and say, hey, you know, I, I haven't gotten any pain medicines for like a month and I need them, and, and then I look on the database and see that you've gotten a prescription, you know, every five days for the last month of a hundred pills, you know, then I can say, Hey, you know, you've kind of reached your limit. It's not appropriate to write you any more antibiotics. So that's been extremely helpful. I think, you know, to kind of be more transparent, uh, between me trying to guess whether this person, you know, Hey, I, I know we've seen you in the ER this many times. Well, then they would go from ER to ER. Um, the other thing is that the, the DEA is being much more aggressive about, you know, controlled substances and, and whether you're following the rules and the laws and everything like that. Not, as, not so much on the individual physician side. They've always done that. But uh, I've seen pharmacies shut down where, you know, basically the feds come in, they, uh, they grab all their computers and, and all their, their ledgers and shut the pharmacy down. And, and that's happened locally even. So we know they're out there, you know, trying to bust these rings that are really just uh, narcotic rings. You know, and one more thing on the treatment, though, um, before we get off that one, you know that you can walk into a pharmacy now, uh, and, and, uh, and not all pharmacies carry it, but there's the, the reversal agent for uh, narcotic overdose. If you have somebody in your house who you know abuses narcotics, or if you abuse narcotics, you know, it might be a good idea to have this stuff around. Uh, but it's pretty expensive, isn't it? The manufacturers charge through the, through the nose for this stuff. You, you know, it's a good question. I, I really don't know how much it costs. I should, I should probably know And that's, that. what is it, narco? Like a typical doctor, I just spend people's money. I don't even know how of, much it costs. Of course, and, you're, and you, you love it, and you have no problem with that. Uh, but what, what is it called, the, the, uh, the brand name Narco? Do I have that right? Nar- Narcan, yeah. Narcan, Narcan, that's it. All right, Jim. Uh, oh, just one other quick one. The more controls that are put on you... And the medical profession, of course, the easier it is and the bigger the problem is on the illegal side. Right. Yeah, it does push it into the black market for sure. So there's really no good answer, is there? Either you do it uh, or well, those. It's got to be a holistic approach. You can't just say don't write for narcotics. You know, you can't just say, you know, bust people for having it. You have to have a whole a holistic approach for treatment plans, prevention, education, everything else. It's, it's a public health problem and needs to be addressed as a public health problem. Got it. All right, Jim, thank you. Anytime. Take, take care, Dr. Jim Keeney, who is uh, the chief of staff elect at Mission Hospital. And coming up, well, we're going to do a, a VA story uh, And uh, now the VA is back in the news, especially since the head of the VA uh, is no longer head of the VA. Even the person that's been uh, selected to be the head of the VA has been unselected. All kinds of problems. And after the break, your chance to win $1,000. All right. We may only have tonight, but till the morning sun, you're mine. 
handle here on a May Day Tuesday. Here's your chance to win some money. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. They notify the winner by calling them. You have to pick up that call. Joyce and Artesia did, and she is $1,000 richer. Your next chance to win next hour. All right, uh, a little bit about the VA, which is back in the news. And during uh, the campaign, uh, President Trump, at that point, candidate Trump, said the VA is the most corrupt agency in the United States and pledged to fix it. Well, it's still in a lot of trouble. Now, his first VA secretary, David Shulkin, resigned amidst the scandal of the wait time. I think there were one or two veterans that died just waiting to see a doctor. And uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's gotten a little bit tough. Now, uh, for those people that are going to attack Trump for not keeping a campaign promise, two things I want to point out. Uh, number one, it's much easier to campaign than to govern. Campaigning is a cinch. Well, other than the 18 hours a day for a year and a half. But saying you're going to fix it, saying you're going to change it, is a lot easier than actually doing it. And I'm going to give the president a pass on this one as I give many presidents, as they say one thing during the campaign and mean, and, and something else happens when you're not talking about out-and-out hypocrisy. And one of the things that virtually every president, every president will tell you, within the first six months of office, when the president is interviewed, what is the most surprising thing that you discovered after becoming president. And every single one that I have heard the interview is, I'm amazed at how little power I actually have, especially dealing with a bureaucracy. 360,000 employees and a machine that's already in place. And it's like moving an aircraft carrier. It takes a long time. And a lot of people have to be involved. Now, there have been some successes in what the president has done relative to his philosophy. For example, Scott Pruitt dismantling the EPA. Well, that's easy. Just getting rid of rules and regulations. Fixing the VA is a very different story. The wait times are better, but they're still ridiculous. The quality of the medical care is not what it should be. There is, I don't know how much corruption is there, because anytime you have an organization of 360,000, and it's a government organization, of course there's going to be corruption. But are there answers? Well, maybe it's run so badly they have to privatize. For example, VA hospitals. You know, government employees that have civil service protection just don't work as hard as private employees. I mean, we have to put out if we're working uh, for a private company. And so do you turn over the VA hospitals to private entities? Maybe. Do you add more doctors? Well, yeah. Do you somehow 
make the bureaucracy slimmer, meaner? Well, you know, it's a governmental agency. How do you do that? And so veterans are still in a lot of trouble. Uh, Ronnie Jackson, the last story of the VA secretary. I mean, this is Donald Trump really screwing the pooch. White House physician. Right? The guy does a mean prostate exam. Therefore, he's qualified to run the VA. What do you do with that? It's, is it possible that this is an insurmountable problem? That, this, that the VA simply cannot be fixed? Because the complexity and the shame of it is, is that the veterans who most deserve government care and being taken care of by us, the American people, through the government, are being screwed. You know, at one point, the VA was really terrific. Veterans coming back from World War II, for example, the Korean War, the GI Bill under the Veterans Organization, free tuition. I mean, it created a tremendous middle class of veterans. Great medical care. Boy, don't we wish, huh? Coming up, May Day. What does May Day mean? Well, it's not just May 1st. Oh, there's a whole world to this. KFI AM 640. That is the International Workers Anthem. And today, all over the world, it's a holiday, a a national holiday to most countries, for most countries, where it's the holiday honoring the workers. The communists have completely taken over. Well, not so much in the United States, because workers have a small part of it. You also have uh, activists, immigration right activists, and you have the LGBTQ community, and um, it just goes on and on. But... For the rest of the world, it is the workers' holiday, representing, of course, the workers of the world. And do you know what the color of the flag is, by the way, of the international workers' movement? Uh, I'm going to assume since you're asking it that way, it's not red. That it I is would... red. Oh, it is red. It is red. Oh, it's red. the obvious answer. Okay. Yes, it is red. So uh, that's the politics of that. And interestingly enough, the politics of May Day started here in the United States, where the workers got together. There were a few historical incidents uh, in which workers were completely screwed over and died because of factory issues. And, and that's when uh, it was the Industrial Revolution. And you had thousands of men and women and kids dying every year from poor working conditions, long hours. So out of that became a political movement And May Day became the day that signifies their rights. And then, of course, who comes into the picture? The communists. So, uh, a couple of fun facts, Wayne. And that is the international distress call. May Day, May Day. Mm -hmm. Do you know the connection? No. There is none. That's the connection. It has nothing to do with it. May Day was invented in 1923 by an airport radio officer in London. He had to come up with a word, easily understood, in case of an emergency. So he came the, uh, he coined the word May Day because it sounded like May Day, 
which is a shortened version of the French for come and help me, or it's a shortened version of the French term, let's have some brie together. It also sounds similar to a different French word that means, oh boy, things have gone to... I'm not oh, going to say it. Yes. yes. No. You're like, yeah. 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 The French word for poo-poo. Yeah. Poo-poo. God, you can't stop. stop. Well, the FCC. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of this is historical. I mean, it really is. Uh, we're talking back millennia. Uh, and different events, festivities around the world. Uh, in the 19th century, it became the Workers' Day. But go back to the Celts of uh, the British Isles. May 1st was the most important day of the year. Because that was the festival of Beltane, and and think about it. Oh, it divides, the ancient Christian festival of Beltane. Yep, and uh, it's thought to divide the year in half between light and dark, and symbolic fire was one of the main rituals. Then the Romans took over the British Isles, and they brought with them the five-day celebration known as Floralia, which is a female body part. No. Do I have that wrong? I don't know. Although a lot of festivals and holidays are fertility related. so When you think about that, yeah. And so Floralia is devoted to the worship of the goddess of flowers. Flora, that's where we get the word flowers, from flora. And all of this, I'm going to go a little, uh, little bit further on, but it all morphed into probably my favorite holiday, and that's Festivus. Yeah. <laughs> For the rest of us. All right. So, how about the Maypole? Right? Oh, good. I was hoping you would address why when we were in school. Do they even do that in school anymore? Do they have the Maypole and you grab the thing and you run around it? There must be some But we did as a kid. We used to. Also, tetherball. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Does anybody do tetherball anymore? I just saw a tetherball pole like two weeks ago. Yeah, but, but, there was, but there was no it. ball connected to it, was there? No, it still had a ball. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like jungle gyms. You can't use gym anymore because it's sexist. <laughs> so it's a jung- jungle gym or jungle Betty, the, depending on which one you want. So the origins of the maypole, uh, they really don't know, but they can trace it back to medieval times. Villagers would go into the woods, find a maypole, a tree that was set up for the day in small towns, maybe in larger cities, it was permanent. And it was merriment. People would dance around the pole with streamers and ribbons, and then they were connected to the pole. And then you had this uh, ceremony where you run around and look completely stupid, like you did when you were a kid. Yep. Yeah, with the streamers. I mean, I've never understood that. But why did they do it? Uh, no one really knows. It goes back to just uh, simply celebrating the festivity. It was fun. Uh, it's uh, a holiday that celebrates uh, the coming of uh, summer. Uh, it's fertility because May is in the middle of fertility month. Uh, this is when women ovulate. Did you know that? <laughs> Wait, only in May? <laughs> That's correct. Oh, my sex ed classes were very, very poorly informed and I, then. If that's and by true. the way, I've made my living around women ovulating, you know, for 30 years. Now, the maypole really did, didn't take off in America, uh, even though it, it's a big part of it. When we talk about the maypole, for example, 
very few and far between. Uh, I was not a Maypole list. Uh, then you had May Basket Day during the 19th, even the early 20th centuries. Baskets created with flowers and candies and treats. We used to do those as a kid. See, that's yeah. I, I've never done that. Yeah, it was super fun. And you'd go and like hang the little basket on your friend's door or something. Mm-hmm. See, I, those are things that I never do. I mean, the one time I came up to a neighbor, he came out with a shotgun and said, what the hell are you doing on my property? That stopped that one cold. That's a different world now. Uh, probably has. So uh, the May Day celebration, today is it. But the big, big part of uh, uh, May Day is the fact that it's an international holiday among virtually every country in the world as Workers' Day, which we don't celebrate. But we invented the eight-hour workday. We did. That's what all those people rallied for and demanded. And now, over in Europe... They get the longer vacation times. They get more family leave. They get, in some countries, the siesta or the closing down in the middle of the thing. So we invented a great thing, and then they... They co-opted it. Yeah. They took it over. All right, we're going to come back. uh, The last segment, the links between your politics and your privacy. And here's an It's a survey that was done that is, um, you know, eye-opening. This is KFI AM 640. I'm not... Here as uh, we finish the show on a May Day Tuesday, top trending stories that are being covered, and and uh, I assume uh, Gary and uh, Shannon are going to talk about it. Uh, that's a Central American caravan. Is at the border? What's going on with that? Today is May Day, and there's a whole story behind that. And Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu has proof that Iran lied about not having plans to pursue nuclear weapons. And he did this whole show and tell. It was actually very strange. With, uh, you know, curtains opening up and, you know, his PowerPoint and going through. It's very strange. All right. So we finish up with uh, a survey that was done. And the question is, is your privacy concerns or are your privacy concerns uh, likely reflect your politics? And is this a surprise? And that is, amongst Democrats, 62% said they they felt creeped out by the idea of companies checking job applicants' credit history before uh, hiring them. Now, we do that in my office. We want to know what's your credit history, particularly in jobs that are regarding our trust account, regarding money, We want to know how good are you at dealing with money and how good are you at responsibility. We also do background checks. How many tickets have you gotten? Well, how about it's not criminal. I mean, they're infractions, but it shows how careful you are. Shows the kind of person you are. So I'm amongst the other part of uh, that story. I don't feel creeped out by the idea of checking out job applicants' credit history. Matter of fact, I do it. But then it goes to 50% of independents, and then it goes to 29% of Republicans felt creeped out. They're okay with it. Wayne, how do you feel about it? If you're working for me, Mm -hmm. and I do a credit background check, in addition to all the rest of it. 
Uh, I'm fine with that. I went through all those background checks. Well, you because you were feds. working for the feds. I went through stuff that's probably more intense than you did. The thing that's interesting about this survey is they didn't. They asked about different kinds of surveillance and privacy tracking, and whether or not there's a big difference between Democrats and Republicans depends on what kind of surveillance it is. So, for example, people of all political stripes are equally uh, divided on Facebook showing you an ad based on what you've done on Facebook. About 50% of all political groups don't like it. The other half is fine with it. But only political ads. No, any ads. But but how about Netflix? Netflix using your information privately Mm -hmm. to then suggest, why don't you watch this show? Again, people are equally divided without regard to politics. When it gets political, are surveillance issues where people think it affects poor people or people of color disproportionately because they ask these people all kinds of different scenarios facebook shows you ads based on what you did and and people don't like it but not because of their politics but then they had an example with the one you said looking at people's credit scores another one was police oh yeah the looking at people police surveilling people who have quote, characteristics of criminals. And again, Republicans thought that was fine, and Democrats didn't like it because, obviously, who do you think would be affected by that kind of a policy? But how do you do that? Think about this for a moment. How do you do that? Characteristics of uh, criminality, right? Without considering race, Mm -hmm. without considering how you dress, uh, without considering where you live, although it can be argued that statistically it is more dangerous uh, in a, uh, for example, a poor socioeconomic area, you know, a ghetto area, be it Hispanic, be it black, uh, that the police are simply going to be more careful than they are in the middle of Beverly Hills, for example, uh, than they are in the middle of Glendale with the Armenians. I mean, certainly frightened about dying, you know, getting attacked with razors, but that's... You know, Glendale. So uh, is that legitimate? But certainly race, you argue with that, that's a problem. And they, you know, economics and race are are viewed as being connected in this country because it's widely viewed that people of color don't do as well economically. And they don't. Which is a generalization, but there's some statistical truth behind it. And so it depends on what kind of surveillance. If it's surveillance that is uh, race or class neutral, then it doesn't seem to matter what your politics are. But if it's any kind of surveillance, here's another one they asked them about. Landlords subscribing to a database uh, to figure out if they want to rent to you or not. A credit Re- history database? Republicans. Be- eviction database? Yeah, and Republicans had far less of a problem I don't with understand. that than Democrats I don't did. understand how Democrat- anybody can argue uh, you have someone that wants to live in your place and you can't do a background check. How many times have you been evicted? What is your credit history knowing you're going to actually pay the rent? So I, I don't buy that. Interesting, though, in terms of the stats. All right. Uh, there's the lovely Shannon. How you doing? Yes, ma'am. What are you talking about How's today? that voice holding up? It's falling Is apart. it painful? No. Oh, that's good. Not at all. That's good. It's just pure laryngitis. It's 10 degrees cooler in this room. Than where? Everywhere else in the building today. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. I've noticed. Uh, okay, well, what do you think about all of those Mueller questions? They're uh, very detailed, aren't they? They are. Do you think Trump's behind the leak? 
Uh, no. To show that these are too broad. No. A sitting president's not going to sit down and be opened up to this no. Uh, degree. No. There's no way. If he's going to be, if he's going to sit down at all, I mean, he starts with, I'll take questions, written questions. Yeah. Uh, and I won't sit down with you. Well, or that's what his do, lawyer said. Right. Or if I do sit down with you, I want to see the questions in advance. Right. To say no. But, but he said, uh, I'll sit down with whoever. We'll, we'll talk about whatever. Yeah, his lawyer said, no, then I'm not. out of here. Please. Um, okay. Also, Modesto 7-Eleven may be on to something when it comes to panhandlers. We'll tell you what their secret is. Young Americans say they are lonelier and worse off health-wise than senior citizens say they are. Also, the Golden State Killer, we're learning more about what he was like as a young cop before he was fired from departments. And sex as a weapon. Several candidates for governor in California are using sex in their quest for the throne. So is every wife Uh, in the world. Yeah. Do you want me to get someone to talk to you about that? (laughs) You want to bring Dr. Wendy in? Yeah, I don't think she'll disagree with that. All right. Uh, Gary and Shannon coming up. And, uh, boy, a lot coming on today. Uh, I know, right? A lot of stuff. All right. Have a good show. Thank you, sir. Take care, Shannon. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow. This is KFI AM 640.